Ah, it is with such joy and pleasure, excitement, energy, all of those other things that I say welcome to the Championship 1 to 24 pre seasons prediction podcast brought to you by Not the Top 20 Pod and sponsored by Betfair. I am Ali Maxwell with me, George Alec. George. Oh boy. It's the most wonderful time of the year. We will be talking through the championship. Now, sometimes when you do these and you mash a load of teams together into something resembling a league table, your gut feeling has like 16 teams in the top half. And that is the case for League One. That is not the case for the championship. This feels like almost the opposite in a way that it sounds kind of weird because I'm, I'm kind of criticizing the way that the, that the strength of the league looks right now. But... I also think it's quite exciting for fans listening to this pod to hear. The strength of the competition is maybe not as strong as League One and League Two. More chance for your team to achieve success. Is that one way of looking at it? (laughs) Yeah, it is. I mean, I don't want to put people off listening to this now, but it is, I think, probably the weakest championship in, well, since the time we've been doing the podcast, the last five or six seasons doesn't mean it won't still be entertaining well i think it's going to be even more so um <laughs> i would almost go as far as saying it's quite hard to make a case for lots of championship teams improving on what they did last season and it's very easy to make a case for lots of quite good championship teams last season to get worse which makes our job maybe a bit easier although <laughs> you know choosing who's actually going to get relegated amongst all the teams that you think are going to be down there is quite tricky the championship, it's always said, is the most unpredictable league in, in the world. Whether or not that's true, I don't know. But if we are if we are very wrong in terms of our top four or five, then we're in for a head of a season. <laughs> that is a very nice way of framing it. Look, this podcast is sponsored by Betfair and they are a season-long sponsor for us. We're absolutely delighted to be partnered with Betfair for the entirety of the 21-22 season. We really enjoyed working with them for our playoff preview shows and so did they. So here we are, a full season of sponsorship with Betfair and not the top 20. Nothing will change when it comes to the way that we cover the EFL with two podcasts a week, the Monday podcast, breaking down the weekend's results and the Thursday betting show. There are no plans to make any changes. Betfair are going to be along for the ride, supporting us. Listen out for some of their current offers later on on the podcast. And also, really excitingly, George and I are going big with our biggest ever massive giveaway. George, what are we giving away to one lucky listener of the 1 to 24 pods? A season ticket. We are going to pay for them to have a ticket to go and watch all the home games of their team this season in celebration wow. of the return of fans. We are buying a season ticket for one lucky listener. So settle in, listen to our championship 1-24s to and then give yourself a chance at winning a season ticket for this coming season by following the instructions at the end of this podcast and entering the giveaway. Without further ado, the championship league table starting with the team in 24th. You know what, George? When I teased our 1-24s to this week, you know what the most regular response was? Something along the lines of, lads... Why don't you just make it 1-23 to 23 in the championship? Because there's no point talking about Derby County. And that is not a joke. Those were Derby fans, and I don't think they'll be listening. We do have Derby County 24th in our predicted championship league table. It's hard to imagine a football club being in a less stable place to start a football season, and that is not a good place to be. Yeah, I went into my research 
thinking I was going to try and find a way to not have them 24th. And within about a minute and a half, you realise that you'd be being disingenuous to do so because this is a side who somehow weren't relegated last season. Since then, they have basically lost the vast majority of their players. And it was a small squad anyway. You then look at the squad as it is at the moment. They have about nine outfield players, of which Bielik is one of them who's got his long-term knee injury. Jason Knight, another, who was sized down by manager Wayne Rooney in a training session and is now out till at least mid-October. Tom Lawrence is now the club captain, Mm -hmm. um, which is a hell of a turnaround for a guy who was kind of banished out of the club initially. Wayne Rooney is manager, and I feel pretty sorry for him, it must be said. I mean, I know that the the finances of, of the deal that enabled him to be at Derby in the first place and then him being in this situation now is, is kind of says a lot about modern day football in, in, in the championship. But they just don't have enough players and they were very poor last season and they have a suspended three points um, deduction. Again, if Mel Morris fails to pay the players at any stage or they're paid late during the season, they'll be docked three points. And there's an embargo, which means at the moment they can only bring in, I think it's four players, either on loan or, or by... Um, one free transfer, the players they've got in the in the moment on trial, the likes of Richard Stearman, Phil Jagielka, Ravel Morrison. Are these the players that you think are going to improve this side enough to get them out of that mess? No, I don't think anyone has a, a firm grip on things at Derby County from the very top right to the first team manager, to be honest, and, and various headlines in the last few weeks have not helped Wayne Rooney to get a stronger grip on things. It's very difficult for us to imagine that this team will pick up very many points, even if... We should say it will be lovely to watch the likes of Louis Sibley and Max Bird and Jason Knight when he's back from injury and Lee Buchanan if they don't sell him to Nottingham Forest, as has been rumoured. I'm looking forward to seeing these guys play football and Christian Bielik when he comes back from injury, one of my favourite players in the whole division. But it's doom and gloom, I'm afraid. Derby 24th. Let's move on. Uh, George in 23rd place, uh, suffering relegation, we reckon. They only just avoided it last season by coming 20th. Huddersfield Town, you are pretty worried about the Terriers. Yeah, really worried. I was pretty concerned about them last season. Um, they looked for a brief moment in the middle of the campaign like they might get sucked into it, but eventually were, were pretty well clear of it all. I didn't see very much from Carlos Corberan to suggest that he is um, you know, the second coming of, of Marcelo Bielsa. I didn't think the style of football necessarily tallied with what we were being told before the season oh, started. There were some nice bits and bobs, weren't there, early on? Just a lot of Pieper and Toffolo playing very high. Um, but that's the weird thing, is that they seem to be they seemed to be committed to improving the style. And then they made loads of signings early in the summer that was just so against what you expected them to do. Jordan Rhodes being snapped up early on a return to Huddersfield. Josh Ruffles, a player who, you know, his output in terms of goals and assists might suggest he's an attacking left back. But realistically, he's not in the same mould as, as a Toffler. He's basically just very good at, at getting on the end of things in set pieces. Matty Pearson from Luton, again, fine. Ollie Turton from Blackpool's a decent player. Like, it just it was really weird seeing no championship clubs made doing their business, except for seeing Huddersfield just signing loads of what looked to me like bang average players. You expect to see the early signings being the ones where they have to move quickly to get them and secure them. <sighs> yeah, I mean, in terms of players leaving, there's not a great deal to be too concerned by. I don't know. They're, they're just a side who looked to me to be on a pretty fast downward trajectory. It wouldn't be a massive surprise to me if Corberan was dispensed with pretty quickly if they make as poor a start as I'm predicting but I can't see any reason for them to improve on last season. So my big concern uh, and the team we have in 22nd place is with Reading. We've got Reading in the last 
relegation spot. Over the last few weeks, I've become increasingly concerned about the finances of Reading. Not specifically that they don't have an owner with lots of money, but rather the impact of the decision-making of those that run the club over the last few years and what it might mean for them uh, going forward. They haven't been able to sign any players this summer, not a single signing. That's because they are under an embargo from the EFL, which is due to the simply insane amounts of losses that they have made over the last few years. Biscuit Analytic writes that in the last three years, so between 2017 and 2020, Reading have spent 172.3 million. Their total revenue in that time, 56.7 million. So over 100 million pounds lost in the day-to-day running of the club over three years. Now, some people don't think that the EFL's financial rules are strong enough, are stringent enough, but they do exist. And there are sanctions for teams who go over. And that's what Reading are suffering now. So now they're under a transfer embargo for breaching the profit and sustainability rules. And I don't see a lot of light at the end of the tunnel on this front. You have to hope as well that the owners are happy and able to keep losing tens of million pounds a year because this spending hasn't helped them get anywhere near the Premier League realistically. And you have to be concerned at how long one is willing and able to burn money so I think there's a lot of things against them to start with off the field the fact they haven't been able to buy any players and the fact that they have lost Michael Elise of course Omar Richards to Bayern Munich uh, a few other loanees of course from last season a few other fringe players no one aside from Elise and Richards massively key But the fact that they haven't been able to replace them with anyone as we record makes me very concerned for the depth of the squad. And the general atmosphere around the place, I think, is concerning. Then there's Valko Paunovic, their manager. It's quite difficult to know exactly where to rank him in championship managers. What we can say is that for the first 20% of last season, Reading were a top team. They, They flew out the traps, didn't they? They picked up all those wins at the start of the season. And for the next 80% of the season which is the large majority of the season, they were a sort of upper bottom half level team, um, projecting, what, 14th, 15th, that sort of that sort of way. And so I'm not sure if I'm convinced Paunovic is, a, is a, a real net positive as a manager at this level, and I don't think he has the right conditions at the moment. Of course, Reading do have some very good players. Josh Laurent and Rinomota were a brilliant midfield too last season. Jonathan Swift comes with the caveat that when he's fit... He is an excellent championship player. Lucas Rao, as we saw in spells last season, when he's fit, is an excellent championship player. Ovia Jaria is a player that we really, really enjoy watching. This is not a case of Reading not having some good players, but having very few senior players, a real lack of squad depth, some injury-prone players amongst those that they do have. And as far as I can see, even if the embargo is eased a little, a little bit like what you said with Derby, I don't think they're going to be able to attract the sorts of players that would get you excited. So it might seem crazy, but I'm very worried in the general direction that Reading are heading. And when we did last season's predictions, we tried to remind ourselves afterwards that we had underestimated the extent to which off-field issues, specifically when it comes to breaching profit and sustainability rules, can have a big impact on the footballing side of a team. We've seen it with Sheffield Wednesday. We've seen it with Derby County. Those cases are not identical to Reading FC by any means. 
but they are pretty strong examples of what can happen when things are not in good shape off the pitch. So I might be going way over the top, but I'm very worried about Reading. That's why we've got them in 22nd place and being relegated this season. I hope that most of what I've said doesn't come to fruition. I hope that everything is fine and dandy by the time that we're a few months into the season. Uh, next up, just above the dotted line, but still not a lot of certainty here. It's a bit more doom and gloom, really, and it's a playoff side from last season in Swansea City. I think Swansea City are far more likely to get relegated this season than promoted, uh, and it's impossible to say otherwise. Steve Cooper's basically walked, walking out on the club has shown the situation that they're in, where you know they've lost... I mean, losing Andre Ayew is obviously an issue on the pitch, but you would think in terms of uh, financially getting rid of the highest paid player on the on the wage bill in the league is going to be a good thing. But we haven't really seen that money reinvested at all. Carl Joseph's come in from Wigan, which is a, a signing for the future. Liam Walsh has come in from City, which is fine. Don't know much about Joel Perot from PSV. But they've lost so many players in terms of loans, which makes their team and their squad going into this season so much worse um, you know, you look, you're looking at Woodman, who's gone. Uh, Gwehi is gone. You're looking at Harrahan, who came in the second half of the season, also gone. Grimes, Matt Grimes is being linked to a move for £1.5 million. If that fee is to be believed, and there's some serious issues going on behind the scenes with Connor Roberts, another one being linked to a move away. Everything is pointing at something being fairly chronic behind the scenes. Now, they've gone after Russell Martin. Um, at MK Dons as to be their new manager reports at the time of recording on suggests that those advances are being rejected um, which I think Russell Martin is smart to do because it doesn't look to me like um, MK Dons looks like a better place to be a manager at the moment um, Jody Morris is another one they're being linked to it'll be a hell of a job for anyone to come into this um, they have a skeleton squad have lost so much quality from the good side. And there is an argument to be had in terms of the underlying data to suggest that they massively overperformed where they should have been last season anyway. Yeah, I, I think they're destined for a really, really hard season. We're not too positive about the team that we've got above them at Preston North End. They finished 13th last season. It was a season in which Alex Neal's reign at the club came to an end. Uh, his former assistant, Frankie McAvoy, did a very good job in terms of results in his caretaker spell and the club have handed him the reins for this season. Now, there's quite a lot of doom and gloom about and I'm getting a pretty bad vibe from the place, I must admit. Now, I think that they have some strong-looking midfield options, as they always seem to do. I'm excited for Ben Whiteman um, to have his first season, full season in the Championship. He's been looking very strong in pre-season, a player that we like a lot. I think they've got a lot of defensive options in terms of bodies. It's hard to know how good a defensive manager Frankie McAvoy is, of course. I think more often than not, I sort of think defensively, it's not just about the names that you see on a squad list. It's about how the manager sets his team up, how well coached they are out of possession. Now, that's what Preston were always under Alex Neal. They were the bane of the life of the top teams because any time you played against Preston, they made it so difficult for you. Now, their issue was putting the, the, the poorer teams away. They weren't good when the, when the onus was on them to impose themselves and put away teams towards the bottom. So that's something that they need to improve. I just think for us, Neil had the squad punching well above its weight. We don't know if Frankie McAvoy is going to be an amazing manager for this level, a bad manager for this level and for this squad, or middling. It's very hard to say. But unless he's very good, I think they drop a fair bit. 
how far, I'm not sure. We've ended up with them in 20th place, hoping that they can attack with a bit more creativity and vigour this season, but not necessarily thinking that that is going to be the case. So Preston North End, 20th position in our predictions. George, just above them, who have we got? Just above them, we've got Bristol City, uh, who, apart from a, a very good run uh, last season under Dean Holden, right at the start of the season, were arguably the worst team in the division, I would say. Um, and Nigel Pearson came in and there was some, you know, there was a small bounce, but really it was kind of more of the same. Uh, and looking through what they've done so far this summer, uh, I'm not really convinced there's much reason for cheer for Bristol City fans. Um, they've brought in two kind of seasoned pros in Matty James and Andy King, who are, I'm sure will both be fine and nothing much more. I'm a huge Rob Atkinson fan, as listeners to the podcast will know, who they brought in from Oxford, a left side of centre-back. Six foot four, brilliant ball player. Um, he has some ceiling and I'm sure will end up playing in the Premier League. I'm not convinced that turning up to one of the worst defensive teams in the Championship last season and being thrust straight into the team as he will be is necessarily the right move for him uh, in the short term because he was exposed somewhat at times last season at Oxford, especially by Ella Sims in the first leg of the playoffs against Blackpool. It's going to be a, a bit of a baptism of fire for him. Um, they've lost a fair few first-team players who, who played a lot of minutes last season, so if not quality, they've got minutes to replace. Jeju's gone, Patterson's gone, Hunt too. Yeah, I, I don't see... You're basically putting a hell of a lot of faith in Nigel Pearson um, if you think they're going to be anything better than lower mid-table. This was a side who, it feels to me, two years ago, Stephen Lansdowne, the owner, was doing everything he could to to fund a push to the Premier League. Ever since Lee Johnson left the club, that has not felt like the case to me. And in Nigel Pearson, we've got a guy who is rightly very well respected, but actually hasn't been successfully managing a team at the Championship, or really any level, since 2014. So you are taking a big leap of faith if you're going to look at Bristol City and say, look, they've got Pearson, he knows this league, he'll improve them when the squad itself isn't being improved. So I am really concerned about them. The eagle-eared amongst you will realise we have now got up to 19th place. Oh, those eagles have such good ears, and don't they? We, <laughs> and we haven't yet mentioned a promoted team from League One, uh, which says a lot about what we think about the, the shape of those sides coming up. Ali's going to talk through a couple of them in a second. But before we do, I'm just going to run through the relegation odds at Betfair. Unsurprisingly, Blackpool and Peterborough are the two favourites for relegation. We have them nowhere near. So the teams that we have down there, Swansea are 12 to 1 for relegation as it stands at the moment. We have them just outside. The three teams below them, Reading, Huddersfield and Derby. Derby are not being priced up at the moment, given the off-field issues, given they don't really know what's going on there at the moment. Reading, though, are 9 to 1. And Huddersfield at 3 to 1. Bristol City are 7-2 to two and Preston 9-2. to two. So there you've got a team in Reading who we think are in there at 9-1. to one. Swansea, a team who are just outside at 12-1. to one. Because we fancy these two teams, Ali, Blackpool and Peterborough, mm. to go pretty well. And Hull as well, who we'll talk about later. But yeah, it, it feels weird, doesn't it? Because we know the stats around League One promotion to the Championship and how difficult teams have found it to stay up last season. Rotherham and Wickham, two out of the three uh, went down. But all things considered, and taking an overview of the whole league and looking at these three teams, and we're going to start with Blackpool in 18th place, I really do think there's a good chance that all three of them stay up and possibly not even by the tips of their fingers to make up a phrase entirely. I think 
there's a chance that some of these teams could be really good additions to the league. Now, Blackpool, I was a big fan of, as everyone who listens to the pod knows, uh, back end of last season. I was very bullish on them winning the playoffs. I felt that they were, by the end of the season, possibly the best team in the whole league. Uh, and they very much did the business in the playoffs. I think it's a good place to start to mention that it's just a very business-like team. Neil Critchley, in his first full season as a manager, had a proper 9 out of 10 season. And I say 9 out of 10 because they didn't start very well and that left them with a lot of work to do. And also because their turnaround, about 25% of the way through the season, coincided with the appointment of Colin Calderwood uh, as his assistant manager. Now, Calderwood has now moved to Northampton Town to be an assistant manager and Stuart McCall, who you'll remember being a number one at, at Bradford City about 19 times, is now backing up Neil Critchley. So that's an interesting one to watch. Um, but he was excellent and they were so well drilled out of possession. Tactically, he was incredibly versatile. They switched between three at the back formations, 4-4-2. Four, four, um, they got a lot from their strikers, Jerry Yates and latterly in the season, Ellis Sims. They were excellent as a defensive unit, despite the fact that they had constant injuries in that position in a way that made me think that Neil Critchley has something pretty special about him when it comes to coaching his teams out of possession. And that's what you need in a, a scrap, in a season where it's unlikely they're going to be dominating games. I want to be sure that they will be good enough without the ball, and I am pretty sure. A team like Reading... I think are unsuited to a relegation scrap, both in terms of the personnel that they have, the manager and the way that they like to set up, and the potential for to, to just not be ready for a scrap. Whereas a team like Blackpool, I'm much more confident that they are. I think they might be a bit like Coventry last season, who, who came up from League One and did stay up. I think Blackpool will find it tough at times. I think they'll have some good runs, and I think that they'll end up safe. I think goals is is the major concern. Uh, Sims, uh, as yet, hasn't been re-signed on loan. And Jerry Yates, who had a good season, albeit if you take out his penalties, only scored 14 goals in 40-odd League One games. So not an astonishing goal return by any means, but a striker who we think has a lot of good qualities that should translate up a level. Um, maybe need another sprinkling of loan quality and Neil Critchley certainly has very good contacts on that front. So look, we've got Blackpool in 18th place, nice and safe. Um, and that's the lowest of the three promoted teams, George. Just above them, we've got last season's second place team, Peterborough United. Yeah, this, this feels like a long time coming, Peterborough back in, in the championship. They've been consistently one of the best teams in League One for a long time. And when they went down last time, they had the highest points tally of any team to be relegated in the championship history. Correct. Um, and they feel it feels to me like they are ripe for progression uh, rather than a team who are going to be down the bottom there. And I like the fact that they are going to come into this league and play the only way they know how to play and get on the front foot and try and beat teams. Um, and I think they've got the quality to do it. A couple of really smart signings coming in. George Grant is a, obviously a great player. Uh, Josh Knight, who we mentioned in the League One podcast, who was on loan at Wickham last season, a massive part of their rallying towards the second half of the season. And then Jack Marriott. I mean, I always love it when he got a side who sell a player, then bring him back on a free. And you know, with Marriott, it's, it's, it's a bit of a punt, I guess. Like, a bit of a free hit. Who, who knows if he's going to be fit? Who knows if he's still got the pace that he used to have to get him behind. But he's only 26. Feasibly, if they get him back to where he was when they first sold him, this could be an absolute masterstroke. And if and if he isn't, if he isn't there, then, I mean, who cares? They've still got Johnson, Clark, Harris and Sirikki Dembele to, to step in or step up. I'm sure they'll probably both be um, very much in the first team to start the season. Um, I think they're going to be a great addition to the league, Peterborough. I think I we can expect 
high-scoring games. They scored 61 goals from open play, the most of any team in the EFL last season. It's that same gang, as you mentioned, Clark Harris with Dembele and Smodix buzzing around, offering different things as well. I love the signing of Josh Knight. Uh, I think George Grant can take the Reese Brown role pretty comfortably. Um, and yeah, I mean, the only real concern is defensively, where in going up last season, they conceded 46 goals, one per game, which is not brilliant for an automatically promoted side. And that's with a similar team and a similar manager. So you might expect that to go up a little bit. And, and so they will need to make sure that they continue to be a threat uh, when they have the ball. But I would just flag up that Darren Ferguson's record as a manager for the most part, has hinged on impressive defensive performance. So last season might have been it wouldn't, not necessarily the case, but I guess what I'm saying is he's a manager who I actually do believe can set up his team pretty solidly in defence when he really has to. So that's just, you know, that was one of my concerns, but I think they've got an answer for that in, in Ferguson. Uh, above them, George, 16th place, we've got Coventry City, uh, the only team, as I mentioned, who stayed up having been promoted from League One last time around. Mark Robbins at the helm, constant progression under him so far what do you make of Kov yeah I'm, I'm positive about, about them again as long as Robbins is there I think they're going to be a very good team uh, I was so impressed at the back end of last season I, I said on the podcast at the time how they had the hardest run in of any team down in that relegation battle and they stepped up to the plate really really impressively um, maybe a bit of a movement away from the normal kind of transfer model that we've become used to seeing fewer of those Slightly left field signings, not spending money like they did. You know, they bought Gustavo Harmer last season um, for a million quid. This time, maybe it's because players like uh, Javain Castenio are now leaving on a free transfer. They've decided to go a bit safer and just add a couple of quality additions. I think Waghorn is a, is a good signing. Uh, adds another option because they've already got, of course, Matty Godden and Tyler Walker in those um spots up front and bright Anabakare making a return to the club where he had a good loan spell a couple of years ago and another couple where they just had two players on loan last season uh, in in Gaiokris and uh, and Ben Sheaf who both signed permanently as well having had good loans so it's just continuity continuity in every aspect of the club a club progressing with a good manager no reason why they should be sucked into it this this time around could be Tyler Walker's season you know I think if he can stay fit Maybe if he can bulk up a little bit, which sometimes happens naturally as, as young strikers get older. I think he, I really do think there's something in him to be a really good championship striker. This could be the year. Of course, Callum O'Hare, we absolutely love him. So I'm glad that he is sticking around and, and hopefully he'll thrive alongside Harmer. There's continuity in Coventry and then there is just doing absolutely nothing with, Black, with Blackburn. Yes. And we should say as well, back at the Rico, which yes. is really nice. That is good. Very exciting. Looking forward Coventry, to Coventry, not Blackburn. Although they will go there at one stage in the season. Blackburn will travel to the Rico at some point uh, for for a one-off game. We've got Blackburn in, in 15th. And honestly, there's a lot of uncertainty around. I'm basically predicting that our prediction, more so than most, could look quite bad in a few months. Um, and it could be in either direction. Because the fact is, Blackburn haven't brought in a single player. Uh, and they lost a lot because they had so many loans last season. And they also released a lot of the sort of veteran players, the likes of Williams and Stuart Downing and Corey Evans, uh, Holtby's left, Amari Bell, of course. And then those loans, specifically Harvey Elliott, who brought such quality, the likes of Douglas and, and Harwood Bellis and Branthwaite as well. So that's a big issue for Blackburn. A lot of minutes missing and no one having replaced them so far, other than Harry Pickering, who arrives, which we're all very excited about to play left back. Then there's the issue of their massive decline in the second half of last season things got 
pretty grim there. Uh, and Tony Mowbray copped a lot of flack. He's come out of it with his job. But you do wonder how much more they could take should they start the season poorly. And to be fair to Mowbray, it doesn't look like he's got the sort of backing, the foundation that he needs to get anywhere near the standard that they were in the first half of last season where they had some moments where they looked genuinely excellent. Now, a big part of that was Adam Armstrong, just a one-man wrecking ball of an attacker who took a ton of shots per game, who at times sometimes looked a little too selfish and you wondered whether if he could take one shot fewer and make one pass more, maybe Blackburn would have been a better team overall as a result. But there's no denying that he is a sensational striker for this level and the interest in him doesn't look like it's going away. You wonder with one year left on his contract how long Blackburn can hold out. I think realistically he won't be a Blackburn player. So we're talking about a team that's already lost a lot that hasn't brought anyone in and is waiting for their star man to be sold in order to have the funds to start replacing him with only, well, without much time left in the window. It's a lot of doom and gloom, isn't it? Um, I'm kind of more and more worried as I say this out loud, George. Um, you know, we've got them in 15th, but things could be pretty worrying. Now, last season, they were quite ambitious with their recruitment, especially their recruitment of loanees. And I think a lot of those parent clubs would have been delighted with how those loans went. Man City with Harwood Bellis, Liverpool with Elliot. So I would expect that when those Premier League starlets start getting released for their loans, which is happening later and later at the moment because of the major tournament and first teamers getting back late from their holidays in the Premier League, I would expect some stars to land at Blackburn. I hope that we see that um, because I'm looking forward to seeing who that might be. But yeah, I think the general the general word I would use is, is yikes. Um, I was looking forward to watching Blackburn this season because I thought they were quite entertaining to watch last time round, and now I'm not that excited at all, apart from Ben Britton Diaz, their Chilean striker. Almost like a new signing. There you go. Uh, George, uh, above them we've got Hull City. Yeah, I'm positive about Hull. I think that... Um, League One champions, Hull City. League One champions. Full title. And I think if, if you take the last two seasons of Hull City... Uh, you have six months of really good performance under Grant McCann in the championship, followed by six months of the worst we've ever seen with massive extended, you know, circumstances that explain what was going on in terms of losing their best players on the eve, on transfer Widler, on the deadline day. Um, and it was understandable. And then we've got them dropping into League One. Not many people fancying their chances in League One at all. Loads of off-field stuff going on behind the scenes and lots of articles being written to try and discredit what they were doing which I'm sure were justified and then they just tore up League One mm. like no frills they were just the best team in the league and got it done and, and, and very cosily so you look at the business they've done again I think it's more of the same getting Randall Williams in from Exeter is a brilliant bit of business imagine being a left back right Malik Wilkes has been running at you all day cutting inside and taking shots and his number comes up on the board. You think a bit of respite. Randall Williams yeah. is going to come flying down the wing now. It's a big step up from League Two to the Championship. And, and then he comes off yeah. because he's tired. And then Ryan Longman comes on and does the same oh, thing again. Wow. The energetic Longman. But they've got and Nathan Baxter coming in. You know, they've held goalkeepers recently. I mean, George Long was replaced by Matt Ingram last season. Um, but I think Baxter is just a, a, a huge upgrade in terms of what they previously had, had in goal. Um, Andy Cannon, I think, is another one from Pompey who... Pompey fans may not be too glad to see him go, but I think he he is a very solid player who will give them depth in centre midfield. Same can be said of George Moncur. It's it's a very, very good squad already that blitz the league below. Grant McCann has proven that with a good squad, he's capable of leading a side pretty quickly up towards the, the better areas of the championship. 
they've kept hold of players who they needed to retain. Um, you know, Keen Lewis Potter, there's been kind of almost bizarrely little talk about him leaving this summer. George Honeyman was so good last season. I'm sure we'll step up again. My only concern would possibly be they need a, a another goal scorer, somebody who is a bit of a different mould to McGuinness and, and Eve, someone who maybe can, can run in behind a bit. Um, but I guess given the, the, the wide players they brought in, maybe the plan is to play Wilkes there. I'm interested in this because McGuinness finished the season doing something that he had never done before, which was scoring goals quite regularly. And maybe there can be the odd player where something just clicks later on in their career. Goal-scoring instinct comes after years of hard work. That would be pretty exciting because, of course, what McGuinness does really well is occupy defenders and bring others into play. When you've got wide forwards with the goal return of Wilkes and Lewis Potter, you don't need your striker to score 15, 20 goals. So I, I suspect it'll be 4-3-3 with McGuinness. I think they will rely on those wide forwards um, for goals and I think they've got the right players in those positions. Uh, a, a really dependable centre-back signing that I could really believe in would, would help me get even more excited because I like Jacob Greaves a lot. I think he could be a, um, a, a future star, um, but it's a, it's a tough ask for him um, if, he, if he's going to be one of the two starting centre-backs at such a young age. But Exciting times, we think, for Hull City. 14th would be a great return to the championship. Uh, next up is Birmingham City. Uh, we're predicting them to finish 13th. Last season, they finished 18th. In fact, since we've been doing this podcast, shout out to those who have listened from the start. Probably not too many Blues fans, to be honest, because <laughs> they have finished 19th, 19th, 17th, 20th and 18th. But we think it's time for some improvement. We like the recruitment. Lee Bowyer obviously came in late last season, had an immediate impact. They picked up the points they needed to to avoid a relegation battle. And that was a really impressive start. I think he can build on this further. One thing we did flag up was how their wins towards the end of the season were fairly gritty affairs, were fairly low margin games, and they were really reliant on Djukovic's headers and set-piece goals. Now, you wouldn't want that to be the way that you attack over a 46-game season. But we've also seen Lee Bowyer's Charlton side albeit in the division below and to an extent in the championship as well in the 1920 season, attack with energy and attack with a little more dimensions than just cross it in for the Duke. So let's hope that they develop a slightly better way of attacking. I think that they can. I think that they will. Having said that, the signing of Jordan Graham, who is a wide player who will beat his man and whip crosses in all day, certainly plays to the strengths of Djukovic. They've also brought in Chuxanike, who, if he can stay fit, is a great striker. He can score in, in every single way. He occupies defenders and he's got skill and finishing ability. But over two-thirds of his appearance last season were from the bench. He finds it very difficult to stay um, fit uh, and his body struggles with a high workload, it seems. So maybe the, the schedule this season will be a bit, a bit kinder. But for me, I'm positive. It, it suddenly looks like it's a squad with quite a lot of options in most areas of the pitch. Um, which hasn't always been the case with Birmingham City and their recruitment. A manager that we quite like, that plays football, that should be pretty good. I think what I'd say with Boyer is he manages on emotion uh, and that's brilliant in the good times. He is someone who can massively grab the hearts of Birmingham fans, breathe new life into St Andrews and improve the atmosphere. When things aren't going well, I don't always think the way that he manages and talks in the media is particularly dependable. And I think that if things are going poorly... He's not always the best person to steady the ship, but we'll see. We will see how this plays out. Ultimately, I just want to say I'm feeling good about Birmingham City. And it's the first time I've said that at the start of a season for a long time. Lovely it feels stuff. good. It feels good. I, I agree. There you go. What about the team above them? Just in the top half now in 12th place. 
Yeah, Marcus Shop and Barnsley. Uh, I can now see you saying that every single time you say his name yeah. over the next nine months. I agree. Nine, when's he going to go in nine months? Salzburg. Oh, it's a blow. <laughs> uh, well, he's come from Hartburg. Um, yeah, I mean, it's always hard when you're getting a manager who you know little about. Um, but I think what we can say after Gerhard Struber, well, after Daniel Stendhal, Gerhard Struber, Valerian Ishmael, I just have total faith in whoever Barnsley are going to recruit as a manager um, is, is likely going to be up to the task. Uh, his record at Hartburg was very, very good, reading a lot of reports about how they were basically the team with the smallest budget in the um, Austrian Bundesliga and he was consistently getting them into mid-table, into the Europa League. Um, and that is sounds quite familiar. It sounds like similar jobs to, to the men who've gone before. I, I don't think the football, unless he makes a bit of a change from what was going on um, at Hartburg, I don't think it's going to be quite as crazy as, as Val Ball with, um, with, you know, I think the high press will still be there, um, but I don't necessarily think it's going to be the squeeze and, and the, the kick and squeeze, basically. Um, but at the same time, I'm happy to follow managerial tra- trajectories to think that there's no reason why there'll be a huge drop-off. Uh, Barnsley have lost Mowat, who of course was a massive part of what they did last season. Um, it's going to be a loss, but you know whether it's that much of an issue, I, I, I'd probably doubt it. Um, I'm quite surprised to see they let Chaplin go in terms of just squad depth. Um, although, of course, they've brought in Devante Cole, which seems like one of the weirder signings I've seen recently. But they've still got, I mean, in defensive areas, having Anderson, Hellick, Halmer, and Kitching as a as you know probably three going into that four. Although he has. Uh, I should say shot played four at the back at Hartburg is very, very strong. And then you've got Callum Britton and... Um... Mate, I think Styles is going to play centre mid. I think Callum Styles is the Alex Mowat replacement and I am here for it. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. I think we might see a bit more of Clark O'Dor down the yeah. left and, uh, and Williams as well. But they, and they've got, you know, they've got the depth in the squad to um, to do it. And you know, this is a side who, on merit, finished in the playoffs last season after going on an extraordinary run. It would take a you know, a big drop-off for them to finish uh, much below where we've got them finishing now. And I I don't really see any reason for that to happen because you've got to trust that whoever's making the decision to Barnsley in terms of recruiting managers, I think people should start recruiting him. Well, it's funny you say that because one thing they are coping with is not just the departure of Ishmael and of Alex Mowat, but the CEO, Dane Murphy, got poached by Nottingham Forest. So very difficult sitting where we are to really measure and judge CEOs and how much impact they have on a club, but clearly highly thought of. Um, They have replaced him with someone who's come from the City Football Group, um, and we'll wait and see how the club's direction changes. My suspicion, not very much. Uh, They have a pretty strong idea of how they like to do things. Uh, Speaking of Nottingham Forest and Dane Murphy, we reckon that the team he's joined will finish one place above the team that he's left. So Forest in 11th. Um, I'm really excited about Brennan Johnson playing in the championship. I hope that he doesn't get sold to the Premier League. Um, We've got a a friend, Ollie Brady, who's part of our NTT20 squad on on Leveller. And he is ready for one of Worrell or Johnson to be sold in order to raise funds. Now, that's not definitively going to happen. And it would obviously be a shame on a footballing level. But one of the reasons why Forrest have avoided the sort of financial issues that some of the other clubs who have spent a lot of money have suffered is their ability to sell players pretty frequently, pretty much every summer for 10 million quid. And at the moment, Worrell and Brennan Johnson feel like the two best assets. So I hope that they stay. Um, apparently, Ryan Yates looks like a different beast in preseason. I feel like every club's got someone you can yeah, say that about. Always. But I'm looking He's forward gonna to He's going to be that. like a new player. 
I'd like to see Worrell and Scott McKenna develop a partnership at the heart of the defence. They, due to injury, only played 10 times together in the league last season. I think if they could stay fit for the whole season, I really like the way they could complement each other. Right foot, left foot. I think that could be a, a, a potentially, if Forrest are going to go well, I could see their defence being very strong and Worrell, McKenna at the heart of that. But again, Worrell attracting interest. They haven't done much transfer business. Ethan Horvath is a, a goalkeeper they've signed to challenge Brees Samba for the gloves. Uh, otherwise, Chris Hewton is keeping it fairly similar. And it's a bit disconcerting, George, because we've criticised Forrest a lot in the past for unnecessary recruitment, to put it mildly. Um, so I don't think I can now criticise them for the opposite. But at this stage, you probably would want to see a few more additions in order to get really excited about a, a playoff finish or better. Now, with the new CEO in place, maybe things will start moving. Maybe he'll bring some targets from the data-driven approach at Barnsley. That's the sort of thing we'd quite like to see at Forest. Savvier, smarter recruitment. So, TBC on that front. The big thing is Hewton. Like, if he didn't have the record that he had in his previous spells in the Championship... I don't think I would have this squad much higher than, than mid-table. Because he does have that record, it's so tempting to put them up there just because of the name Chris Hewton. But I think you you have to see it. And I don't think we saw it to quite the extent we needed to last season. They obviously improved. He settled the ship. He did absolutely the job that he was hired to do coming into what was a bit of a dumpster fire. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they click and start playing like his Brighton side, which was so good a few years ago. But... I need to see that first. So at the moment, we've got them in 11th and just above them, another old season campaigner, Big Mick McCarthy, Cardiff City, 10th place. Yeah, from 62-year-old Chris Hewton to slightly younger 62-year-old Mick McCarthy. Wow. Uh, it's it's very hard to know what to make of, of Cardiff last season because Mick McCarthy came in and the run they went on meant that this interim manager became the full-time manager all whilst he was kind of laughing in, in interviews saying, yeah, I'm not really sure what's going on here. Um, and I think this is actually one of the predictions over the course of the three leagues where we could look fairly silly because I think Cardiff probably have the potential to be much better than 10th um, given the fact that I really like their signings. I like the signings they made in January as well. You know, NG came in and did very well. His old teammate from Crew Wintle's come in who I think will be a very good addition in time. Ryan Giles is a very good player on the left-hand side. I think James Collins will um, take some of the responsibility off, uh, scoring responsibility off Kiefer Moore, which is, which is needed because when Moore was was injured last season, it wasn't good. Mark McGuinness gives him something a bit different at the back as well, um, beyond the, the tried and tested Sean Morrison, Curtis Nelson, Aidan Flint trio. Um, the, re the recruitment is good. I, I just personally don't think Mick is necessarily the force that he used to be. Uh, and it kind of plays into what I said about Neil Warnock last season, where I just wonder if things don't get off to a flyer, if he can really be bothered. <laughs> you know, it's that stage of his career where, you know, he came in as interim manager. He didn't even come in to, for the full-time job. And he's taken it on the back of this run. And they were, they were pretty poor at the back end of last season. You want some stats? Yes, please. Seven wins and three draws in 10 games before Mick McCarthy's uh, interim manager deal became a permanent manager deal. Then three wins, six draws, three defeats to ultimately miss the playoffs that they'd punched their way into in that first bit. So the big question is, what's the more true reflection of McCarthy's Cardiff? Is it that initial burst or is it how they how they sort of levelled out? I think it's probably the whole lot, to be honest. I think it's all of it taken into one and that being kind of pretty mid-table form is probably where you look at it. Um, as I say, certainly feel like this is one where we could end up with egg on our face because he's a guy who knows 
a lot more than us about how to get teams out of the championship and the recruitment does look fairly good and it's not a bad squad and they've got a couple of players in there and more in Collins who can score goals. I just think there are others who are maybe just a bit stronger. We got Stoke City above them, George, in ninth. Uh, I think along with Mansfield, probably the bane of our lives in terms of 1-24s to over the last few years yeah. become something of an on-running joke. Did we get them right last year? Nope. No, no, we thought they'd finish in the playoffs and they uh, they finished 14th. Anyway, uh, they got Michael O'Neill at the helm. <laughs> I think we quite like their recruitment this yeah. summer. Uh, ben Wilmot, re- exactly the type of player that Stokes should be signing. Yes, Tick. I agree. Mario Vrancic on a free. Yeah, fine. Jack Bonham, hopefully he'll be the backup. Um, <laughs> they raised £12 million through the sale of Nathan Collins. Incredibly talented young player, but one of those who, in the short term, you, you don't think his departure is going to make them way no. weaker because he was just sort of finding his feet as a professional. Elsewhere, they've lost John Obi Mikel, Jordan Cousins, and then those loanees, Norrington Davis, um, Clark, uh, Matondo. No big misses. Being linked today for a move for Liam Delap from Manchester City, which could be quite exciting. I mean, again, it's not one of those where you'd be like, yes, he's going to be amazing, but he's obviously a talented guy who's very highly thought of that probably the best club in Europe in terms of, of progressing young players at the moment. So Yeah, we've got a few chaps coming back from injury that we are quite excited about. Alfie Doughty, we're really looking forward to seeing where he plays because he's very versatile and how he has recovered from a, a horrible hamstring injury. Essentially, has he still got his pace? Because that's his elite quality and something that I think could be quite effective. And then, of course, one of our favourite sons, Tyrese Campbell, who is literally Kevin Campbell's son, but at this stage feels like all of our sons. He's taken the number 10 shirt. I think he'll be back fit from his knee injury within a month or two of the season starting. And he left on a stretcher as one of the best attacking players in the league last season, midway through it. We're talking about pretty much getting on a par with your Buendias, your Dan Jumas, etc. So we just pray that he can get back to the same level because... This Stoke City side, with the best or one of the best attackers in the league, suddenly look very different. They obviously did not finish last season well. They only won six of their last 26 games. So in terms of having them playoffs and beyond, it's too tricky, I think. Have they transformed over the course of a summit into, into a winning team? Can they become a good enough attacking side? These are kind of the main questions when it comes to Stoke. But the midfield looks really strong. I think the way they're turning the squad around is... is is the way that we would want them to do it and they're not doing it overnight though it's not one big churn so it's hard to predict great things but I'm pretty confident they won't be terrible I think they'll have some good runs some bad runs and finish ninth George ninth (laughs) Uh, next up who we got tell me you're going to talk to me about Luton who seem to be the Denmark of this year's championship where they're such dark horses that I think they're actually quite quite light greys um yeah well Luton Town finished 12th last season and we're predicting them to finish eighth uh, a rise of four places um their underlying numbers were pretty good last season 10th by the end uh, and improving for sure and I guess my top line when it comes to Luton is this for me is the best EFL club of the last five years in terms of success and upwards mobility And I think they are levelling up once more. And that is very, very exciting. Um, I think they've got many more options in the final third, which were much needed. More athleticism in the squad, which suits Nathan Jones's style of play. Last season, one of their key features was their high press. They They won the ball back high up the pitch more than most teams in the league. And I think they can improve on that this season. They have a manager in Nathan Jones who has done literally nothing but succeed and make progress 
every single year that he has been manager of Luton Town. And given they came 12th last season, um, with a squad I think was inferior after some really eye-catching summer recruitment, you can see why I've bumped them up here and I can see why people are, are getting excited about them. I think the main concerns are chance creation and, and creativity, basically. You'd think, looking at their pretty low goal return last season, that they need to find 15 more goals. And I think they can do that. Another issue was home draws last season, nine in total. Those are going to need to be turned into wins. They're going to need to be better against um, top half teams who they really struggled with. And they're going to need to just, you know, I want to see them really take charge of games and put away teams down at the bottom and win confidently and uh, and with style. Now that's asking a lot because they are not one of the teams in this league with a big budget. Um, but I'm really excited to see what they do. Carlos Mendez Gomez, of course, has signed Onya Dinma. Uh, Reese Burke at the back, Musque up top, um, Amari Bell with a bit of speed at fullback. Alan Campbell is one that I'm really looking forward to seeing. He comes very well-reviewed from Scotland, um, and I can't wait to see him. So, yeah, I'm really excited for Luton Town. Uh, got them in eighth place, so not quite in the playoffs, but would be a very, very strong season. George, I know that you are quite excited about the Lions. Very similar to you because no one likes you and you don't care. Yes, I am very excited about Millwall this season. Feel like we said this last season, and they and they did really well. Mm. Finished ninth. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Good. Um, I think Gary Rowett doesn't get enough credit for the job he's doing there. I mean, consistently Millwall are swimming against the tide when it comes to the championship because they um, they don't spend money on players, they don't spend very much on their wage bill, yet they're constantly overachieving. And because I think Rowett is associated with clubs who have higher aspirations in terms of Derby and Stoke, maybe it should kind of be seen a bit more that he is actually achieving pretty amazing things at Millwall in terms of progression and what he's doing there. Um, I'm really intrigued by Benneke Fobe signing there for, on a season-long loan because he's a guy who, when fit, just scores goals. And they've tried Could a few be times. Could goal-scoring nine that they haven't had and since imagine, they rejoined the yeah, champ. Yeah, and imagine if they had two players who could score goals. What? I know. Wow. I mean, I think Jed would be quite excited. Jed Wallace would be pretty happy to have another guy who can take on the goal-scoring mantle. Um, George Savile, I think, is a really good bit of business as well, who Millwall fans know all about from his previous uh, spell at the club and will fit in very well to what they want to do. Uh, Ballard, Daniel Ballard, uh, who was on loan at Blackpool last season, really impressed. And they haven't lost... A great deal. I mean, they've lost Ferguson Williams, two players we've associated with the club for a long time. But realistically, they've managed to keep everybody and just add a couple of additions. They were a side who weren't far off the playoffs last season. As we keep saying, I think the league has weakened and they've got better. I think they could really mount a surprise push for the playoffs this season. We have them just finishing outside. But yeah, I'm positive about their chances. I'm not positive about many teams' chances of improving, but they're certainly one of them. They're probably the most obvious Fans being back in the ground will give them some extra points you as think well, so, right? Yeah. Um, next up, a team we have a very good feeling about, Queen's Park Rangers. What a what a year we've had with QPR. Um, we were pretty low on them at the start of last season yeah. and we felt absolutely justified until essentially the first week of February where everything changed. The, they had the third best record in the championship in the second half of last season. They finished with the fifth best open play XG numbers. Brilliant to watch, very exciting. And the fourth worst XG against. Let's tackle a concern early on. Mark Warburton teams, in my experience, very rarely get to the defensive level that you would want them to be in order to sustain 
a challenge at the very top. But they'd never had Rob Dickey before. But they hadn't had Rob Dickey and Jordi Device, and maybe Jimmy Dunn, who they've signed, could be the answer to their problems. There's so much to like, though. We love the goalkeeper, Dieng. I think he could be even better this year. They haven't lost anyone that was contributing big time to their, to their um, second half of the season. They've added the loanees permanently in Johansson, Charlie Austin, of course, Device, yes, and Sam Field as well. And a couple of others, uh, Dunn, I mentioned, but Andre Dazel definitely gives them something a bit extra, someone with big ceiling if things can click. Maybe a new uh, maybe a new place will do that for Dazel. Uh, and McCallum as well to fly up the left wing back position. That is somewhere where they really need an upgrade as well. So expectations are high. Excitement is there. And normally we look at these situations and we want to pour a bit of cold water on it. We want to say, no, you're getting carried away. But in doing our individual research, turns out we're both pretty carried away as well. Yeah, I, I was concerned that they lacked a right back, but it's been reported today that Moses Odebejo is about to sign, which is another good pickup for them. The one area, it's annoying because I think a year ago, it felt like they had one class player in Bright S.A. Samuel, and now it feels like that is the only player they're kind of missing. I feel like he's the, almost the missing part of this puzzle. Um, but yeah, they're, they're a side who, to me, um, have made massive strides in the last six to eight months. I remember saying back in January how painful it must be for QPR not to be able to reinvest um, for the future in terms of the money they got in for Eze and things. But you suddenly look at their squad now and you realise it's just been done very cleverly and patiently and they now look in a position to, to progress. Um, you know, they're a completely different football club to last time QPR were, were towards the top end of the championship where they were throwing bad money after bad money. Uh, now it looks sustainable and even if it isn't this season even if we're wrong I have no doubt that as a football club they're in a really strong position Big Ilias chair could be a real star of the season but also maybe a little under the radar because I always bang on about Big Ilias is how good Chris Willock was uh, in the second half of last season someone who has obviously great pedigree who never really found his feet at senior level, um, bounced around Benfica B for three years after leaving Arsenal, never playing for the first team. But Jesus, he was good in the second half of last season. And when you've got quality attacking players like Chair and Willock, who seem to be able to play together and thrive together, it's just a, a it's it's ripe for excitement when you've got Austin who can finish the chances. Um, yeah, looking forward to QPR playing some good attacking football this season. Uh, and we think winning quite a lot of games. So QPR in sixth. Uh, in fifth, I'm really excited about this side, George. Middlesbrough. I think they're kind of, if I had to pick they're one. They're your ones, aren't they? I think they're my ones. I think yeah. they're my my dark horse ones. And I think mine, mine is Millwall, then yours is um, Borough, and then we're shaking hands on the super hoops. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a probably fair assumption. Now, actually, Betfair's prices suggest that, you know, Middlesbrough maybe don't really, I don't think they really fit the criteria for dark horses. They're five to one for promotion. So this isn't a, a crazy prediction that they would finish in the playoffs. But all summer, I've just been growing in confidence. I know that last season, after a really good start, they fell off a cliff somewhat. If you look at the three EFL leagues, you can point to a lot of clubs that that happened to. I think a disproportionate number. And I'm willing to put a lot of that down to the very unusual conditions that came with the, the truncated season, the COVID outbreaks, in Borough's case, the, the injuries to key players, specifically the defenders, Dyke Steele and Fry, uh, who had made them so good in the first place. But I'm really excited. Um, we've said it so many times about Neil Warnock that him getting lumped in with old school managers that people consider dinosaurs who play backwards football is completely wrong. 
and 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 so far of the mark. And I think any suggestion that he doesn't uh, motivate the current generation of players as well as he might have done former generations of players, I think is also wide of the mark. I still think that Warnock in his early 70s is pretty much as good as ever before. And I think that's a huge, huge positive for Middlesbrough. I think he will know how to hit the ground running with this Borough side. And I think over the course of the season, yeah, there might be some sides with undeniably stronger squads who pull away at the top end of the table or who hunt down Borough if they have had the hot start that I think they're going to have. But I'm just feeling really confident that this is a good thing. I love the signing of Uche Ikpiazu. I can't think of a, a striker that I'm more excited to see Neil Warnock get the best out of. That doesn't necessarily mean scoring 20 goals. As we know, Warnock's Cardiff side went up with Patterson as their top scorer with, what, eight? So I just think Uche is going to thrive in this system. I think he's going to bring the wide forwards into play. I'm expecting goals um, from all over the park here, breaking from midfield, the likes of Matt Crooks. Um, People like Tavernier, who I think a bit like Ilias Cher could really take another step up this season and be a star of the division. And I haven't even mentioned Martin Payero yet. That's because he hasn't signed, George. But they are signing an Argentinian number 10. And he, I hope, is going to be incredible. I think he could be a real difference maker. And I, I just think you know the defence is going to be solid. I think it's all in place. As long as everyone stays fit, I've got Borough as a playoff team. Oh, and I'd love them to sign a, another goalkeeper because last season, I'm afraid, their goalkeeper, Bettinelli, had the worst shot-stopping stats in the league. Got to move to Chelsea. And for some reason, I've never been that convinced by Lumley, who they signed this summer. So I'm looking for another goalkeeper to be added. But I'm excited. I'm excited. Up the Borough. That's my big dark horse. There you go. Um, we've got them in fifth position, in fourth position, George. AFC Bournemouth. Uh who have appointed Scott Parker as manager, which it was all quite weird. I mean, it was just quite strange how they kind of chose him as their man and pursued him for six weeks, seemingly just kind of setting light to six weeks of preseason in the in the wait to, to get the man they were after, who, you know, I, I think I am a Scott Parker fan now, weirdly. You've been very conflicted with him, haven't well, I thought, you? I thought he was pretty rubbish when they got promoted from the championship, and I thought he was quite good last season in the Premier League when they got relegated, so... I'm very confused. Um, but it, in terms of the playing squad itself, I mean, they're, they're in... The playing squad is worse than it was this time last season. But then Jason Tindall was their manager and that was a very bad decision. I think if, if, if they went to this campaign, sorry, with Parker in charge and with last season's squad, then I'm sure they'd be in our top three. But they've lost a few players. You know, they've lost Begovic, they've lost Rico. They're going to lose Dan Juma fairly shortly, we'd think. The... Marcondes transfer is a bit of a strange one where I'm, I'm not entirely sure he is going to add a great deal even though I quite like him as a player and I don't know enough basically putting a lot of responsibility on him being a really creative number 10 yeah which I think is what Brentford thought they were getting and quite quickly realised they couldn't rely on him and to then released that. him on a free transfer yeah um, there are a lot of players in there who have disappointed last season uh, you know mate Brooks is going to be amazing this season I'm saying that right now I hope so he's going to be possibly player of the season okay well I mean I, I really hope you're right because I'm a massive fan of his and he obviously did disappoint uh, last season um, yeah there are basically I think it's fair to say there are four teams who I'd be pretty surprised if they didn't finish as the top four mm. and we have Bournemouth fourth of them there's probably not a great deal to choose between them um, but on the back of quite a poor season last season where they failed to live up to expectations I think the job that Parker has getting this team back up is probably just a bit tougher than the other three. Yeah, I sometimes think with Bournemouth, 
because we hold them to very high standards, sometimes I find myself thinking negatively about things, but only in relation to, to, to what I think they could be and what they haven't been in the last 12 months or so. So I have still got some concerns. I think they're in a bit of a weird spot financially where although they are a parachute payment team, it doesn't look like they can really flex those muscles because they lose so much money that the parachute payments, as they always are, should be used to basically bridge the gap and make sure that if they don't go up over three years, they aren't suddenly the biggest loss makers that football has ever seen. But it looks like they're not just using them to buy players, which is good. I don't think that's what parachute payments should be used for. But it does mean that their squad looks a little bit short and I'm not sure if they're in a position to really strengthen to to challenge with some of the teams that have come down from the Premier League. So, yeah, we're banking on, on Parker being a very good manager for this level. Uh, he won promotion with Fulham last time he was here uh, through the playoffs. They weren't always that convincing, but they got the job done. Um, they're fourth uh, and our top three. Well, the eagle-eared listeners, George, and boy, can they hear things. Um, they know that we've got the top three as the three relegated Premier League sides. Which, which is sad. It's not fun, is it? No. Why have we come to this decision? We have to be true to ourselves, though. Who's in third? It's Sheffield United. The uh, Blades. Slavica Jakanovic's Blades, who... I mean, this will be fairly short, because it's there's... the first time I've ever heard his first name rhyme with pizza. Slavica? Yeah. What would you say? Slavica. Pizza. Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you can tell this is the, the podcast we recorded last of the three, I think. Um, <laughs> this is... It's going to be pretty quick because they haven't done much in the way of transfers. John Lundstrom has left and gone to Rangers, which is a bit of a blow. They haven't brought anybody in. Um, but I think what we're going to see here is a lot of players who were pretty good in the Premier League are actually going to be seriously good championship players very quickly, especially in this edition of the championship where I'm pretty convinced there's a dearth of quality. You know, with your wing-backs being Jaden Bogle, George Baldock, Max Lowe, Ender Stevens, you know, these are, are going to be basically the best on offer in terms of attacking wing backs in the division. Sander Berger, we expect to leave, but they're still, they've got Ollie Norwood, who gets promoted from the season every single time he plays in it. Um, John Fleck, who is still a, a brilliant player. The one I'm most excited about is Rian Brewster, who has obviously been written off as a flop by many for. N- being a, a big money transfer. For those of us who only focus on the championship, my memory of him in a Swansea shirt was certainly not that of a flop. Exactly. And and I think he's going to get given a lot of game time here. Um, and I think he's going to be really good. And I think it's probably the best thing for his career is that he's not going to play a season in the championship for a manager like Slavica Kanovic, who's very, very good at bringing through young talent, who plays football the right way. They could do with a couple more. Um, I think they need to bring in a centre midfielder. Um, I liked Ollie Norwood's um, comments in the press saying that um, you know the the players had never seen anything like the way that Slav wants to try and get them to play, which suggests it's going to be more football like we saw at Watford and then at Fulham. Um, I mean, he's masterminded two of the most impressive promotions at this level yeah. that we've seen. I have a very strong idea that this might not start very well. No, I agree. I've, I've got it written here. Slow burn. I think the second half of the season, they are going to turn on the style in the same way that his Fulham side in, I think, 16-17 did, or possibly 17-18, where like from November onwards, they basically won like 80% of their matches. That that's There's enough uncertainty over the summer and, and enough not going on in the transfer market 
to make me think it, it could be a slow burn to start with, but I'm really excited for it all to click. One point I wanted to make is, look at the managers they're coming down with. It's just a completely different scenario to last season, where Norwich came down with Farker and smashed the league. Bournemouth came down with Jason Tindall and it was a mistake. Watford came down with Vlad Ivic and it was a mistake. These teams are coming down. Sheffield United with Jokanovic, who has two promotions from this level in his last two jobs. West Brom have hired the essentially the manager of the season from last season in the championship. And Fulham have hired Marco Silva, who, look, we could get into a whole podcast on Marco Silva and whether he's good or bad. But the fact is, he has some very impressive things on his CV as well. So it feels like they come down and they have made some managerial appointments to basically blow everyone out of the water, which I think is what makes us pretty bullish on these teams. George, do you want to talk about second place West Bromwich Albion? Yeah, I will, thanks. Um, I'm excited for this. Uh, there was a yeah a good article in The Athletic uh, by Steve Maidley all about Valerian Ishmael's first few weeks at West Brom. And it excited me because it suggested he's going to do exactly what he did at Barnsley. All the talk about the age of the squad at West Brom and whether or not he's got the players to do it doesn't seem to bother him. He's going straight in. He's getting them very, very fit and getting them ready to play Valball, as I like to call it, which is basically hit it long, press them high, don't let them out. And I, it's one of those things where it's attritional, but it's almost for some weird reason not as ugly as lots of other long ball teams. Uh, and I am a massive fan of it. They've got Alex Mauer in, who is a you know his midfield general and captain from Barnsley, which is a very very good signing, I think. Uh, at least it gets someone in who knows the way he wants to play and is already attuned to it. Um, their squad, I think, still looks very very strong, um, especially in defence, where I can't see them conceding many goals. I think Matt, Matt Clark is a really astute signing uh, as well, a player who I think deserves to be playing away from Derby this season. Um, there's just a lot to like, and he's a manager who I've got immense faith in and given we've mentioned the, the difficulties and the the struggles of some other teams in the championship this season they look rock solid another side who remember they had a terrible campaign a couple of years ago where Darren Moore was sacked and Jimmy Shan came in and they still ended up getting in the playoffs like this is what we're talking about these teams who get relegated from the Premier League the gap is so big these days that even when you're not in a particularly good place on the pitch you can still form a formulate enough good results in order to get you in the playoffs. The same could probably be said of Bournemouth last season. Um, whereas I think here for West Brom, they look sharp. They've got a belting manager in uh, a style of football that worked last season with less technically gifted players. Um, yeah, I'm, I think they're going to go very well. It's just a shame that we, I don't think are going to enjoy the delights of Matty Pereira this season, who looks like he will be off, yeah. um, which is a bit of a blow. Uh, I think Sam Johnston is expected to leave, and I'm, I'm sure that once those transfer fees have been triggered, we'll, we'll see some, some late transfer activity. So it'll be interesting to see who they target, who they bring in. Uh, I think their defensive depth looks pretty good for a 3-4-3. Uh, in, in the centre of the park, really, it's just Livermore, Mauer and Sawyers, who, who you have to say doesn't feel like an obvious fit for the, the physicality needed in the centre of the park in, a, in an Ishmael team. But Grady Diangana, I'm expecting and hoping will thrive. Um, Carlin Grant, I just want to see something from him. I want to see the best of him because I feel like the last few years, through no fault of his own really, he kind of stumbled a little bit, but he's only 23. Big Ken Zahor, any chance of him scoring goals? I think so. Probably not. So they might need to get a striker in. I think, I think Carlin Grant could do it. Yeah, but there seems to be a suggestion that I know. Ishmael doesn't want to play him through the middle. Yeah, I don't know. Play Grant through the middle. 
That's what we'll yes. leave you with, Val. Not far be it from us to tell you what to do. But um, could Can you be... see they've been told to call him Val, which I like as yeah, well. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. That's really nice. Um, okay, top of the tree, Fulham FC, uh, who last time we saw them won promotion through the playoffs, uh, who have come straight back down after a campaign in the Premier League that was pretty lively in a, in a number of ways. Uh, definitely... There was a month or two where every time I watched Fulham, I thought they looked absolute class. And I was somewhat surprised to see that they were still well short of uh, of uh, achieving survival. Um, a bit of change, uh, isn't there, without Scott Parker at the helm. They've hired Marco Silva, uh, Luis Boamorte as assistant, which I love. Uh, and of course, in terms of players, well, when you fill your Premier League team with seven loanees and they for whatever reason, don't fancy returning after relegation. Um, you do have holes to fill. I think one of my main concerns here, George, has to be squad motivation. Um, some of these guys won promotion two years ago as key men and then essentially just got put to one side for a season in the Premier League. And they're now being asked to just slot back in, go again, don't complain, You know, pull your socks up and go again. So I think that's a, that's a concern of sorts. I think they need more goals from players not named Mitro compared to two seasons ago but from what I've read about Marco Silva and the way that his teams play when he has managed teams who are set up to dominate by which I'm talking about spells with sporting in Portugal uh, and Olympiacos particularly in Greece is I think he's the right man to put together a really good attacking side and when you go through the names in the squad I mean even with those low knees having left George it's it's pretty eye-catching stuff isn't it I mean this this must be the strongest squad the one that looks most ready for a, an immediate assault on things. A quick word on Marco Silva because I feel like there's a lot of nonsense said about him and his time uh, in England, where people always, my least favorite thing, they're always like, "Yeah, he was, you know, his reputation was done a hell, hell of a lot of good for getting relegated, for getting a hole relegated." And I'm like, "Well, that's just not true." Like he came in when they were in trouble, took the job, made them like way better, both in terms of their results improved, but also the way they played was just completely chalk and cheese and rightly got credit for it got the Watford job but did a really good job to start with then was basically caught chatting to Everton and then everything went where Watford basically kept him hostage when he wanted to leave the results went went off a cliff and then people look at his Watford record and say it wasn't very good well I mean it was when when he got the got the uh, Everton attention went to Everton didn't do a great job but then when he left things went perilously bad so I, I think there's definitely a good manager in there where circumstantially things have gone against him, which has impacted the way people think about him. Um, I think he's a good appointment. I think he's going to do well. And I think they're going to win the league. I, I'd like to see another, maybe another wide forward, another winger, and then I'd be really confident. But look, they, they've got amazing depth in all areas and a manager that clearly we're both kind of buying into, even if some people might not. Uh, I will leave you with a note from Pete Rutzler, who covers the Fulham for The Athletic who notes that there are 19 players on the books who have won promotion from the championship before. Wow. And of those, 10 have done it twice. So there you have it, George. Fulham are champions. Betfair's favourites to win the title as well. Yeah, they are afraid. Nothing too exciting there. Five to one they are to win the championship. And the promoted three, our promoted three, are the three favourites as well. Fulham 15 to eight. West Brom 21 to 10. Sheffield United 23 to 10. This should be evidence to show we don't do stuff just to get the headlines. This is what we actually think because we have done a really boring top four in the championship, but it's hard. Yeah, as I said at the top of the show, if we're wrong with those four, then we've, we're in for some season for, for, for some teams. I love that. I love that. Um, Fulham first, West Brom second, Sheffield United, Bournemouth, Middlesbrough and QPR 
in the playoff places. Then Millwall, Luton, Stoke and Cardiff to round out the top 10. Forest and Barnsley 11th and 12th. Birmingham 13th, Hull 14th, Blackburn 15th, Coventry 16th. Then Peterborough and Blackpool 17th and 18th. Bristol City 19th, Preston 20th, Swansea 21st, Reading 22nd, Huddersfield 23rd and Derby 24th. There you have it, our championship 1-24 to sponsored by Betfair. Betfair got some offers for you at the moment, one on multiples. If you bet £20 on multiples or bet builders, you'll receive a £5 free bet to use on multiples or bet builders. T's and C's do apply. You can find those on the Betfair website. They also have no cash-out suspensions on match for all EFL games. That's applicable to singles and multiples. No cash-out suspensions whatsoever on match odds for all EFL games. Betting is for over-18s only. We ask that you be gamble-aware and understand the risks that come with betting. Last but not least, a huge giveaway. Massive. Massive giveaway for one lucky listener. Have you ever been asked the question when you get to tell someone who you support and they say, you're season ticket holder, and you go, oh, no. Now, you could say yes. That's about to change for one listener of the NTT20 pod 1 to 24s. We are buying a season ticket for one of you. And it's very, very easy to put yourself in with a chance. All you have to do is head to Twitter. Find the tweet where this podcast is released. It's likely to be pinned at the very top of our Twitter page. Quote tweet that tweet. And in the body of text... Write a review of our placement and opinion of your team. And you can add any other major agreements or disagreements across the 24. You can be as kind or as rude as you like. Don't think that just being nice will mean you will be the winner. And you have to follow our account as well, at NTT20pod. Make sure you click follow if you don't already. So very few rules here to put yourself in with a chance. Follow at NTT20pod on Twitter. Quote tweet the tweet releasing this podcast with a review of our placement of your team and any other major agreements or disagreements. George and I will be selecting a winner midway through next week. That is the week leading up to the first games of the season. We cannot wait to give away a season ticket to someone who just wants to go and watch their team this season. We all do. We cannot wait. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Let us know what you think and get involved with our season ticket giveaway. Thanks for listening.